Finally. <laughs> that's that's what you say, right? Finally? That's what I say. I'm the master. I'm the light. I am the licensee of finally. <laughs> One of the reasons that you're here now is that uh, your website, kotki.org, has, has hit the 20-year marker, which now that I say it out, this is the first time I've actually spoken it aloud, and it just put like a dagger of old age down my heart. <laughs> No, it's, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. But one of the things that uh, I would, I wanted to talk about, to talk about with you is over the years, I've noticed many times, often like commemorating anniversaries, like the 20th or the 15th or whatever, you'll say, or you'll write that you, you don't consider yourself a writer, um, which I think is a very strange thing to say <laughs> for somebody who's written so much, but I know what you mean, I think, but I consider you to be a, a absolutely perfect writer. You you write what you want to write, and I feel like you're at least to, to me you're conveying exactly what you want to convey perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I guess I would consider myself a blogger first, someone who you know uses writing in the goal. You know, the, there's a I don't know maybe there's a different goal. Like a like a novelist is a novelist, and they use writing to pursue you know that you know, the goal of, of doing all the things that a novelist does. Um, but I feel like my primary interest is like, I want to share this thing with you or this thing, this other thing that this real writer wrote <laughs> about, you know, something like I, I want to share that with you. And, and, you know, I'm sort of using, you know, I, I, I write like I talk like I, you know, and, it, and the site is very much, you know, this, the, the voice of the site is very much me writing an email to a friend yeah. about this cool thing that I saw. Well, you it's the, the and, weird, the weird thing is that there is no one way to be a writer and, you know, and I right. guess the idealized form and, and maybe kids today don't feel it anymore, but at least when I was growing up, a novelist would be like the top rung of the ladder, like mm -hmm. The you know the Hemingways and Fitzgeralds and yeah just name of you know either either historical or even current day like that is like the pinnacle of like indisputably you are a writer if you have written and published novels right. and move down from there and I th and as I've gotten older I kind of think that's a little BS like <laughs> and I think most no I think most novelists would probably agree you know that it's it's you know that that they might feel that they couldn't do uh, what like their favorite newspaper columnist does. Right. That, you know, like right. there might be novelists who can't imagine being Paul Krugman and having two times a week, making a point in exactly 750 words, <laughs> two times right. a week, every week for 15 years. Right. Um, which I'm personally in awe of because to me, one of the great breakthroughs of blogging as a medium is that your post can be exactly as long as it needs to be, whether that's extra long or in most cases, you know, very short compared to a, like a newspaper column that people just yeah, have I mean, different people just have writers just have different natural lengths. Right. Or like you, you know, you get used to a certain length. Like I, you know, like I, I've thought about writing a book of some sort, you know, over the years, but I cannot imagine just how that would happen for me, you know, because everything I post is so short and so chunked up and like, you know, how can I, how can I write more than five paragraphs about something, you know, much less like 13 chapters or something, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's like, like a frequently asked question for me if I ever thought about writing a book, and uh, I've thought about it in the abstract, but I've never had like an idea. Uh, you know, in the early yeah. early days of daring fireball and trying to go independent, I had an idea that maybe I would write like a like an advanced nerds book on how to use BB Edit, um, mm. and, and I I could have I think I had to. I had like book length, but you know, sort of like even there though, it, 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 you know, like a, like in the heyday of O'Reilly books, it's like each chapter is really just an article, right? It would still just be sort of like stringing together 10 articles about BB edit and calling it a book right. and selling it. Right. It's not, there's one, no, there's no grand narrative you have to worry about. Right. Not one big 200 page or longer idea that I'm filling in the details on. Never. It's just never right. happened to me. <laughs> I I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel like it's that kind of thing where it's like, you know, like people who are into books, they could, you know, they probably they probably look at a site like yours or a site like mine, and they're like, oh my god, like this person could totally write a book, and they can see it in their mind. But I can't see that. You know, I can't see that. I, I don't. You know, I can't look at it that way. I don't have the experience of 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 you know like. Picking out books like that, um, you know, maybe it's like a forest for the trees type of thing. Like, you know, I'm so in, so in the weeds that I can't even see it. I don't know. One of the things that to me was a breakthrough, and and you know, 1998 when Kotki.org started. Well, let's start with this: the fact that I, I've it's never been quite comfortable to me speaking about your website because the name of the site it doesn't really have <laughs> doesn't really have a name, right? <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's never really like, I, you know, Kotki.org is, is the name. Most people call it Kotki, which is also right. my last name, which is right. a little weird. Right. And so when I talk about it, I always say Kotki.org because if I say Kotki, then I'm talking about myself in the in the royal sense, which is stupid. You know, I'm not Ricky Henderson. <laughs> but it is, it is, it does make it sometimes grammatically weird but somehow feels exactly right because i can't imagine it any other way yeah i mean i've often thought about i mean not so much anymore but in the early days i thought about changing it like oh i should actually give it a name you know so it's not my name right kotki's daily links yeah, to make it more serious or, I don't know, something. Right, make but it, it, actually, something. it actually says, like, you go there right now, and the banner says org, and mm-hmm. then there's a little heart, 20 years of hypertext products. Uh, okay. It always reminds me of here in Philadelphia, there was, they're gone now. I think they, I think they still exist, but they're, like, in Delaware. But there was a jewelry store um, that ran commercials all the time. Anybody, any kid of our age who grew up like in the eighties is going to know who I'm talking about. Cause they had like, they used to advertise on like the after school. I don't know why I like the after school rerun type shows. Uh, you know, like when you'd watch old Gilligan's Island or, uh, the Brady bunch and stuff. And the name of the store was Robin's eighth and Walnut. Uh, hmm. and that was their actual name of the store. And their location was eighth and Walnut. Uh, and they even had a jingle. I'm not going to sing it. Maybe we can dig it up on YouTube and insert it here. Robin's Ethan Walnut. Our name is our address. 
And I often have thought about it when I've when I've thought at the meta level of Kotki.org being the name of the site, it always right. inevitably pops into my head the the jingle from Robin's Eighth and Walnut. Our name our name is our address. The jingle is also self referential. <laughs> it's it's perfect. I love it. <laughs> It is, in fact, it, I will also say this, it's, in fact, where I got my uh, wedding band that I'm wearing right now. Oh, there you go. Um, now they're, now you it's, a, get, it's a coffee shop. You got to get them in as a sponsor. Oh, they're yeah. no longer there. Well, I do believe that they still exist. They're, I don't want to get it. I don't want to get into it, but there was some kind of <laughs> let's, thing. Let's talk about the jewelry shop. They, there was some kind of family dispute, I believe, uh, like where the, the the patriarch of the family died and the the next generation squabbled over it and uh, I, I don't know some some kind of messy thing like that but i believe they still have locations in delaware but uh, and on, gotcha. and, and that's uh the st- strategy there is that delaware has no sales tax so you could you know you could save money i don't know right there's a lot of jewelry they, stores they, in delaware right they they should put that whole story in their name now <laughs> Like, like the part about like we had a disagreement in the family, and now we're only in Delaware with no sales tax. It's right in the name. That's the name of the store. <laughs> Robbins. We had a we had a family disagreement, and now we're only in Delaware where there is no sales sales tax. Exactly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so one of the things in from the early days and going back to 1998. Uh, The format of a blog, it it was not, it it seems self-evident now, but it was not self-evident then, meaning that you you have this thing and you type a new post and then on your homepage of your site, the most recently thing that you posted is at the top. And the next time you post something, it gets pushed down um, and that's it. Like it sounds so simple, but uh, yeah. I struggled for years. Like one of the reasons during Fireball was four and a half years after Kotki wasn't that I, in 1998, that I wasn't thinking about, you know, having a website. It was because I didn't know what, how to make it. I didn't know what format it I, you know, I was stuck for years thinking about issues, but that there would be hmm. like, a, I'd do this thing and there'd be like, you know, every Monday there'd be a new issue because I came out of the student newspaper world. I couldn't get past it. Right. In the early yeah, days, I, I, you started with, what was the site? Oscillate, right? Yeah, Oscillate, yeah. Which is sadly no longer online. It's on my hard drive somewhere, and I, I you know, I, it's one of those things, like, I should put it back up, but... Do I you still have yet. the domain? I do, yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> well, tell me about Oscillate. What was the Oscillate? Because Oscillate wasn't a blog, but I remember it, but it's a lot harder to describe. Yeah, it wasn't a blog, so it was it was there were a series of episodes and so like the when you come to the front page of the site it was it was basically you know, like in the olden days back in the olden days, uh you know, uh splash pages were kind of a, a thing, you know, particularly with Flash and stuff. But this was like even, you know, I I think Flash was around, but um Basically, the front front page of the of the site was a splash page, and if you clicked it, it launched a pop up, and it had that you know weeks or months or you know the, the current episode. It was episodic, and and every you know every two, three, four weeks, you know, and then it, and then it was a couple months, and then six months. 
But every once in a while, I would come out with a new episode, and there would be a completely new splash page and completely new design for whatever that episode was. And it was, you know, writing was a component, photography, um, you know, it, you know, I was a 20, I mean, I started Oscillate in 1996, I think. So I was like 22 years old and trying to figure out what to do with this new medium along with everyone else. Um, and, it, you know, Oscillate was, was a way to do that, you know, and, and, you know, it was also a way to try and get a job doing this stuff, you know? Yeah, I think that thinking back then... And, you know, I had other, some little things I played around with, with friends, nothing really solo, but the idea was like for some sites, it always seemed like a splash page was instantly, even at the beginning, it was like, this is stupid. Like if I'm going to mm -hmm. an online bookstore, you should not show me a splash page. You should just take me to, um, where I want to go. But mm -hmm. people wanted them. And I remember a friend and I built the first website for Drexel's College of Design Arts after we graduated. And we didn't want there to be a, a splash page. Our idea was that, that when you'd go there, the main page would be sort of an overview of the College of Design Arts. And, you know, you could go from there. Like, you know, like on one side, here's resources for existing students in the college. On the other side, here's resources for students thinking about it, blah, blah, blah. And when they were like, no, no, we need like a splash page, something that... You know, we're like, all right. Yeah. Um, but then there were other sites where the homepage was the whole site. Like that was the, it, so it's not really a splash page. It's just that it wasn't a site consisting of multiple pages that needed an index. It was just like you'd go there and whatever it was would be on the homepage. And then when they'd come up with something new, they would just replace the homepage. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, dr like Drudge Report is a good example of, of yes. that that's, you know, even probably, I don't know when Drudge started, but it's got to be, you know. Oh, man. It has it's got to be, be 20-ish years old. Yeah, how, or more, right? Because uh, yeah. Drudge was so instrumental in the whole Lewinsky thing. Yep. And so that was like 97, 98. And it was already yeah. a thing. It wasn't like a new website. So I'm going to guess Drudge right, started exactly. around 95 or 96. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, yeah, but, you know, Oscillate was like, you know, it was, it, it was like, I'm not going to call it art because it's it wasn't that. But it was like, you know, design experiments. So, like, the splash page idea sort of felt like it was good, you know, mm. particularly in that era. And, like, you know, it was my thing. So, like... I really liked designing those splash pages because it was like this chance to use, you know, sort of these things that were not that you couldn't use on like a site for a client. Yeah. You know, you couldn't you couldn't put these massive images up and I mean, right. massive for that time. But, right. you know, they probably look tiny now. But, um, you know, just to do stuff you couldn't do elsewhere and just like what about this what about this what about this you know it was a constant sort of like can it do this okay yeah yeah just to sort of scratch that itch of i have these very strong opinions of how a website should be or could be and right if i don't just do it myself and do it with whatever silly ideas are in my head i'm never going to get to do it because when I'm, i can see the way it goes with client work it always devolves into give us this thing that's just like what everybody else is doing. Yeah. At a certain level. 
Uh, here's a news break here from from uh, talk show headquarters. Uh, the Drudge Report started in 1995 as an email okay. newsletter that he was charging, I think, $10 a month for. And then he started the website in 1997 as a supplement supplement to his $10 per year email newsletter. Talk, about, talk about ideas that come around and go around, email newsletters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there's, wow. the, there's the vintage on that. He's a year before Kotki.org. All right. Um, so you, how do you get from oscillate to Kotki.org? And what, and, and at some point they were both still actively maintained, right? It wasn't, you didn't really think yes. of it as like, I'm going to put oscillate on ice and switch to this. It was sort of like, here's a new thing. Yeah. So, you know, the, what became Kotki.org started out as a, as an episode of oscillate. It was sort of like, okay, there is these, you know, online journal things that have been around for quite a while. Um, and, you know, there, there, there are these sort of new things called blog, you know, well, they weren't called blogs at the time, but weblogs. And, you know, I was like, you know, I think part of it was just that I wanted to design a site or an interface or, you know, a reading interface that was, that was, you know, for regularly updated content in this way. You know, not just sort of like, oh, I, I have to think of some completely different thing every time. It's like I wanted to design a container where I could, you know, just write more regularly. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that and that was definitely part of it. And then, you know, I did that for a while and it and it, you know, it lived on Oscillate in this, you know, pop up window, which was very unwieldy way to to use it. And I think, you know, I, probably in a few <laughs> months, like I moved it, you know, I moved it over to, uh, to its own thing. What were you using as a CMS spec then? Cause that predates movable type, removable type, I think came out either in early 2002 or late 2001, but it was right around the, like right around the time when I was planning daring fireball. And I was like, Oh, this will, this will be better than the, whatever I was crazy thing I was going to make myself. Right. I mean, I was, I was hand coding everything. <laughs> so I would up, so I would update the front page and then I would copy and paste that update to, you know, whatever archive file. And then I would FTP them to my server. <laughs> I know. So, Zeldman hand edited Zeldman, uh, the daily report for years after like movable type and, and other things like he, he did it not because he wasn't aware of the advantages of using, you know, movable type or back then what was the gray matter and eventually yeah. WordPress. It was because he, he thought it was good and maybe he's right, but he thought it was good, uh, like hygiene to keep his like HTML mm. editing, uh, you know, his, his keep his, keep those muscles working. And right. I remember telling him that when he told me that it was like years after, you know, like, you know, like 2004, <laughs> five, six. And I was like, you're nuts. <laughs> you're absolutely crazy. Yeah. I was like, it's I mean, like, I, <laughs> it's like breaking you know, like, down your door every time you come into your house and then immediately like <laughs> rebuilding the door. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't switch to, you know, like everyone, I mean, everyone in, you know, 1990, late 99, like 2000, like switched to Blogger, you know, yeah. and Blogger, Blogger at the time, like there was no blog spot or anything like that. Blogger was an interface. You could write these posts and then, 
it basically you gave it the FTP information for your server, and oh, it would FTP right. the files. Right, I remember that. And right. so I was like, you know, and, you know, and I have always been very particular about the design of of my site, and sort of, you know, for various reasons, perhaps related to my personality, but. Uh, you know, and, and Blogger really didn't. Blogger didn't have, couldn't do it exactly the way that I wanted to do it, and so I, I was one of the few I think that didn't switch, and you know, sort of held out until movable type was was kind of robust enough to to be able to do everything, and then I and then I made the jump. But later than than a lot of people, I was yeah. still, you know, into the two thousands. I was still, uh, you know, coding it by hand and FTPing. <laughs> Like a caveman. And then did you backport the old all the old posts from that hand editing era into movable type? I did. I did. Did you do that manually or did you figure out a way to uh, automate it? You know, I probably slightly automated it, but it was probably mostly manual, I would say. Um so the entirety of Kotki.org, like from the beginning onward, is still there. Like it's all, mm-hmm. do you ever, I, you must know about this cause it's, it, it just breaks my heart on a regular basis. But like, have you ever like gone looking at like the, I don't even know what year to call it off at, but let's just say the early two thousands, but you go back and look mm-hmm. at posts in the early two thousands and see how many of the things you link to are now four Oh fours. Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much stuff. There's it's so most of stuff. it. It's a majority of it. Yeah. It, it, it's even, even from two years ago. It's shocking how much stuff from just a few years ago is now 404, but it's absolutely horrifying when I go back to the early years of Daring Fireball and start looking at it. And so, like, I've had this long simmering project in my head to, uh, I guess, you know, to be honest, pay someone, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but but create a tool that hunts down all the 404s and then just pay someone to go through and replace them as best they can with links to the internet archive. Right. Um, exactly. Yes. I mean, same. We should, <laughs> we should find, we should pay the same person, person to do this for both of us. Right. And then I think, <laughs> my God, that would be so much better. And then I get terrified and thinking about how the internet archive is this single thread holding the entire history of the internet together. Then it's right. just, you know, I think that it's well-funded and I think that they have a very, you know, the good plan to stay going for the future, but it just seems crazy to me that there's a single point of failure and it's yeah. just an independent organization. It's not like the library of Congress or something like that, which I'd have a little bit right. more. I'd feel better if there was somebody else, if there were like a, a arch rival to the internet archive. Yeah. I mean, God bless Brewster Kale yeah. uh, that he, you know, that he had, yeah, I don't know. Like he had the vision to do this, and yeah. like the the you know the resources to do it as well. Um, but one of the you know like one of the, talking about like old links and stuff. Like one of the reasons, you know, like Amazon, I think is you know uh, increasingly problematic company for a lot of people. Uh, you know, but I link to Amazon regularly. Uh, you know, just books, movies, music, that sort of thing. And one of the things that I really like about them and one of the one of the reasons why I still do link to them is that if you look at the earliest links to Amazon on Kotki.org 
back in like 1999, they all still work. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, one of the first things I linked to was like a, a, a DVD of uh, office space. And if you go and click that link, it takes you to the DVD page for office space on Amazon. Even like, if it, even if it needs to redirect, you know, like it may, exactly. right. But they, every time they change their system in a way that the old URL is no longer the canonical URL, they, they have redirects right. in place. I, I've, I've yep. noticed that for years that, that yep. Amazon is truly a, uh, believer in uh, cool URL. What's the slogan? Cool URLs. Uh, Never change, or yeah. Never die, exactly. Or something. something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, they. I mean, they've. The, you know, I think it's probably a business thing for them because, like, you know, if let's say ten percent of their links break, then like, you know, how many how many percentage points on on their total business revenue for the year is that? Hmm. Probably significant. Yeah. When you look at you know what their profit margins are. One of the things I remember, um, still, I you know, in hindsight, it, it at the time it didn't seem like it was new because I'd been reading Kotke for years at this point. But in two thousand one, um, I very much remember, and this was a time when I was you know that's about a year before I started Daring Fireball, and uh, Daring Fireball started August two thousand two. Um, but when nine eleven happened. And I, it, it, I, you know, you were in New York at the time, right? Or were you not? No, San Francisco. You're still in San Francisco, but it yeah, obviously it affected everybody profoundly, but, and everything, you know, everybody was rightly obsessed with it, whether you're talking about television or newspapers or any other medium. But I just remember at the time I'd already had like this huge, you know, huge and growing collection of bloggers or journalists or, or, you know, meaning journalers, I, I suppose would be what I'm mm -hmm. saying, whatever you wanted to call it. And everybody was writing about it. And I just, it, it I, I, at one point I, I, in one way I felt like I wish I, now I really wish I had already started something like this so that I could express myself. And then in another part of me was like, I don't know how I would, but I remember that your writing on nine 11 was it, cause it was so different and, and much more personal than what you had typically done at Kotke but it was so like cathartic to read, like not hyperbolic, not hysterical. You're not freaking out, but it was just, uh, everybody was so emotional at the time. Yeah. And it was such a weird, and, and it took a while. It wasn't, you know, it was the sort of thing that wasn't, you know, uh, like, Oh, a couple of days and then, you know, back to normal. I mean, this was, mm -hmm. you know, that was, it's, kind of i can't think of another thing that's happened since that even compares in terms of how no. how the entire nation maybe the western world was obsessed with it for months months and months i um, mean it's still you know it still reverberates you know in a lot of ways like we're still living in a world that was created that day you know and i'm not sure anybody at the time quite knew you know, how, how extensive the, the impact was going to be. Yeah. Um, I think about that too. Um, and you and I are almost the same age. I think you're one year younger than me, but like, I, I feel like growing up in a, we grew up in a very particular era of the U S foreign affairs where, um, we're post Vietnam. And by the time I sort of got any kind of, you know, 
seven, eight, nine years old when I had any kind of vague notion of, you know, what the Vietnam War was like and what it meant. Uh, it it just seemed to me, and then growing up, up in the 80s, it just seemed to me that the U.S. was a place that used to get into wars all the time, but now doesn't really get into wars. Uh, and like... Uh, like uh, I had a, one of my best friends in high school. We haven't really stayed in touch because I don't really stay in touch with anybody. But one of my best friends in high school uh, went uh, to Penn State on an ROTC, uh, and then you know joined the army. And he's still in the army. And my mom just you know said we can get into Facebook later because I don't, I'm not on Facebook. I don't hear about things. But my mom said that mm-hmm. he uh, he's just been promoted to like a lieutenant colonel or a colonel. Or, I don't know. He's like you know really he's like a career army guy um you know apparently very successful he's you know and i'm not surprised because he was very smart and and you know driven type individual but i remember when when he decided to go that way i i just remember thinking like you know good for him i wouldn't really like the structure of military life but it never occurred to me that he would be in wars for 20 years and he's you know he's been to a you know i mean like i can't even imagine it i just thought that he'd you know be a civilian uh, or not a civilian, but a, a peacetime army officer, as opposed to spending 20 years as a wartime officer. Like that's, it, it was just inconceivable to me at the time. And that's one of the ways that nine 11 to me has truly changed. Like we just sort of accept it now. And I don't think we should, that the U S is always at war in multiple right. campaigns. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing that I remember most as, as a kid is, is, you know, the cold war and, you know, the 80s, you know, Vietnam wasn't, you know, for, for, you know, a kid who was, you know, I was, let's see, 1984, I was 10 years old. And, you know, the Cold War was this, this thing that was, you know, people don't really understand it. Like you get little inklings of it here and there whenever, you know, like the recent saber rattling with North Korea happens. Mm-hmm. But, like, it was this pervasive thing where it's like, holy shit, we are literally moments away from being annihilated all of the time. Yeah, right. And, and in a lot of ways, like, you know, when you're, a little, like, when you're a little kid, like, that's kind of terrifying. I mean, as terrifying as an adult. Um, but at the same time, you know, we weren't, you know, like you said, like, we weren't at war. We weren't, you know, Vietnam was in the past and, and it didn't. You know, there were little things here and there like Panama and and things like that. But, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, the U.S. wasn't really at war. And, you know, 9-11 did, you know, did change that in a a big way. Um, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot lot we can say about it. But, uh, I mean, I remember at the time, you know, I woke up that morning and... You know, the, I think the, you know, I was on the West coast. So the, you know, the first tower, I think had already fallen and there were already, you know, there were these aim chat rooms that were going with all of these people like freaking, you know, kind of freaking out, but also sharing information. And, you know, there were the blogs at the time, like people were posting and things like that. And it was halfway between like, oh my God, I need to turn this off. I can't deal with this right now. Like this isn't, it's almost not appropriate to kind of 
say anything. Right. But at the same time, something you know, needs to be I almost, said. Yeah, I almost felt compelled to do it. Like the, it, you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be a blogger, like I'm gonna, you know, you kind of at a certain point, you kind of have to embrace it and like charge into the fold. Yeah. You know, so I just started sharing all these links and information, and people posting pictures and and what was going on, and and you know, tiny little you know videos which at the time were like, you know, melting people's servers because, you know, posting these like six megabyte QuickTime videos and servers were getting melted because, you know, CNN would pick it up and right. point at it and like it would melt. And CNN was down half of the day and CNN.com. I remember that. Yeah. And um, what I remember, I'll tell you my, my 9-11 morning story. I think I've mentioned this before, but not for a long time. But at the time I used to... Uh, Go. I was working at Barebone Software in Massachusetts, and uh, you know where they had flex time. So instead of going at rush hour, I would usually come in around ten thirty in the morning or so, uh, or arrive around ten thirty. So I was still at home, and Amy. We only had one car, and Amy wasn't working, and she would would go to the gym early in the morning, and then she'd come back, and then I'd leave for work. And so she was at the gym and called me, and she was out of breath because she would had been like doing cardio and she was panicking, but they had, you know, all the TVs in the gym switched to mm. like when the first plane hit. And she said, uh, she like woke me up and said, we're under attack. And I said, what? And she goes, New York city is under attack. And I said, by who? And she goes, I don't know, you know, but go turn the TV on. And I remember turning the TV on and it's just sitting there. But the moment that really gets me, uh, I, I just can't believe it. I was watching ABC and Peter Jennings was on. And they have, you know, footage of the two towers. Both had been hit and they were smoking. And then when the first tower fell, they, like, didn't know what to say. And there was so much smoke, you know, like, you couldn't quite tell that the tower was gone because it was replaced with smoke and, I guess, ash, you know, and, and dust, you know. Um, but it was obvious to me what had happened, that the tower had collapsed. But nobody was saying it because it was so... Nobody was said, oh, my God, that that tower just collapsed. They were like, I, we're not sure what's happening here, you know, because you couldn't see the tower anymore. And it right. was minutes before they acknowledged verbally, like literally minutes, as at least it seemed like it to me before they acknowledged that it seemed, you know, but they wouldn't even say that it collapsed. They were like, it might have. They could make it. You couldn't <laughs> see. And that's so it would, you know, that was so horrible that they couldn't. And then the thing that really got me and the thing that that the first time I burst into tears was that when they finally acknowledged that that tower had, had fallen was, and they wouldn't say it, but they were talking around it was that if the first tower fell because a jet hit it and the same type of jet hit the second tower 18 minutes later or however long it was, then the second tower is going to fall too. And we just have to sit here and wait for it. And I just like that realization just I just burst into tears. I think by that time Amy was home and we were together, but it's sort of a blur, but I'll just never forget that feeling. I don't know how we got sidetracked by this, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, to me though, that the, the point is that to me, when I think of nine 11, it, it kotki.org is, is at primarily mixed into that. Like it's one of my, you know, I remember Letterman going back on the air, uh, but I just remember like never more needing to check 
your website every day just to see what you were saying. Dave yeah, Weiner and, too. Yeah, at, Dave, at, Dave Weiner. Dave Weiner was definitely like he. You know, I think a lot of people were were definitely you know following him and refreshing and and that stuff. Um, you know, and, and you know, nine eleven was one of those sort of you know pivotal moments. I think in the site, like it it. I mean, it, it, it basically increased my traffic by 50% within like three days and it, and it stayed. <laughs> um, and you know, it was just, it, you know, it was just one of those things. Like it was like, it, it kind of, I think in hindsight, I don't know. I, I've never really thought about this, but I think I, I do think in hindsight, like it was one of those things where it was like, Oh, this is, this is a thing that is you know, important to me. And I think, you know, at least somewhat important to other people. Yeah. Well, and uh, in addition to the fact that you were expressing thoughts that I think a lot of people shared and maybe were themselves having trouble articulating, the format of a blog was actually perfect in those days and weeks afterwards where there was so much else on the internet worth, you know, like linking to and the nature of a blog where you could just link to it, right? Like if there's this, somebody had a video about something and you could just link to the video and it, you don't have to write a whole 700 word article about it just to link to it. It was a perfect format, right? It's, it, you know, it's great for a lot of things, but it's really great when you're trying to make sense out of a sprawling uh, saga. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, you know, in the weeks and months after nine 11, you know, there, there were the, uh, the so-called war blogs that, that sprang up. Right. You know, this is sort of like the, the, I mean, it's really, it was really the genesis of like, you know, blogging about politics, you know, nine 11 sort of like, you know, kicked it off a little bit. Um, and you know, people were really like, Holy shit. Like this, you know, blogging is perfect for talking about this stuff, you know, cause like you said, like you can synthesize a lot of different, types of information from, you know, all over the place, like, oh, CNN saying this, but the New York Times is writing about this. And then, you know, Instapundent said this, and, you know, Dave Weiner said this, and, you know, like hypertext, and in particular, like the bloggy sort of, you know, extension of that is, is really great for, for doing that sort of thing. And it still is, you know, yeah, in a Uh, way that, yeah, you know, in a way that something like Facebook maybe isn't, but Twitter is maybe even better. I don't know. Yeah, Twitter's better in some ways, and but worse in others because the one thing you could do that was easier, or it still is easier with the blog, is if I've got other, you know, I have a real life to run and a job and a family and et cetera, and I just want to catch up on what did Kotke say today, I can just go to mm-hmm. the browser, hit you know, command N and just type K and it's already autocomplete. You know, I'm like two mm-hmm. keystrokes away, command N K return. And there I am. And there's right. your thoughts on the day. Whereas Twitter, it's all over the place. It's cause it's mm-hmm. interspersed with everybody else. Right. We can talk about Twitter later. Anyway, let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. It's a brand new sponsor. And I'm very excited about this because I think it is a perfect use of podcast sponsorships. It's a new podcast themselves. It's called Tech Meme Ride Home. 
Now you can just go, whatever your podcast app is, just go there. The easiest way to find out more is just use your podcast app and search for Tech Meme Ride Home, T-E-C-H-M-E-M-E. So techmeme.com is a fantastic site. I've talked about it many times over the years. It's one of my very, very favorite. It's one of the websites I check every day just to see what the heck is new in the sort of things that I tend to read and link to and care about. Um, but it's effectively a sort of ranked by order of importance daily tech news site of things around the web. Um, and it's not entirely algorithmic. I think they do have some algorithms behind it, but they use human editors to sort of um, put things in order and decide where to link to. And when there's a story with a bunch of other people linking to the same thing, they, they aggregate all of those links into topics. It's really a great site if you've never checked it out. But anyway, what they've done with this podcast is they're taking what TechMeme is good at and distilling it into podcast form. And they call it The Ride Home because they're doing it uh, every weekday, Monday to Friday, posting around 5 p.m. Eastern each afternoon, and each episode is only 15 to 20 minutes long. Uh, It's a great format. It is hosted by Brian McCullough, who also hosts a great podcast called the Internet History Podcast. Internet History Podcast has been around for about four years now. Uh, and they've had great episodes. I'll put them in the show notes, uh, but they have one with Don Melton, who is, uh, you guys should probably know, is one of the originators at Apple of the uh, Safari project. Uh, Om Malik had a great episode. Uh, but anyway, Brian is uh, a terrific podcast host, and he does a fantastic job. Think of, think of Tech Meme Ride Home as sort of like uh, NPR for technical nerds, for tech nerd news. Uh, it's really, really good. So uh, my thanks to them for sponsoring the show. And rather than give you a URL, although the Internet History Podcast is at internethistorypodcast.com, um, but for Tech Meme Ride Home, really, instead of a URL, the best thing to do is just search for Tech Meme Ride Home in your podcast app and uh, subscribe. Give it a listen. I really like it. It's really good. Uh, and again, only 15, 20 minutes long, so it's not like you're signing up for uh, two hours or something like that. Really, really a great show. I really like it. Uh, all right, what were we talking about? The early days, nine eleven. The early days. <laughs> While we're talking about downers like nine eleven, uh, I think you know why don't we get it out of the way and um, talk about Dean Allen and textism in terms of. Mm. Uh, so Dean, a little bit like you, uh, for those of you who don't know, Dean Allen wrote a website called Textism. Uh, I don't forget when it's, he sort of hung up, but it started before Daring Fireball. I believe it was around 2001 when textism started. And I think he stopped around 2006 or seven. And then he came mm-hmm. back briefly, uh, but then sort of disappeared mostly from the web. And then uh, sadly uh, uh, took his own life a few months ago. Um, uh, Man, was textism great. That's the the thing that came out of Dean's passing and, and those of us who knew him either personally or even if you just knew him through the website was how many people, how many discussions I had uh, just with, and, and they just all revolved around, holy shit, was textism the shit or not? Yeah. Do you remember textism when you first saw was, it? I don't remember when I first saw it, but I remember how I felt every time I... 
you know, like saw a new post and it was like this sort of like, I mean, it was like, damn it. Like my, I, <laughs> yeah. I can't write that well. Like I can't do it. I can try like, but I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, he, he, like, I think, I think, you know, Paul Ford, like whenever Paul Ford writes something, I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Where does, how does he, ah, damn it. I'm never going to be able to do that. You know, and, and Dean was like, you know, like every post it was like, ah, and it, and it didn't have to be long and it was always so simple and straightforward and just sort of, you know, like talking about like nothing basically. Yeah. And it was just, you know, they were just like these perfect little chunks of, of wonderfulness. What was your one um, that you, you, I remember talking with you about it. Your favorite one was, was it like how to cook a chicken or? Yeah. It was like how to cook, how to cook soup. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> how to make soup. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he starts off with like, you need, you know, uh, hydrogen and oxygen to make the water, you know, and it sort of starts from there. Um, and, uh, and that actually, I don't think that was on textism. I think he ran another site called cardigan, cardigan right. industries. Right. And I was never clear on what the difference was between that and textism. Um, uh, but, uh, but the soup thing was on, was on, on there. Yeah. Um, I've got a link to the yeah, web, you know, to the archive.org thing. I'll put it in yeah, the show yeah. notes. Um, yeah, it was cardigan industries. I'm not yeah. sure what the difference was either. And I even got to know Dean personally for a while, but it, he was, it, it, you could ask him questions like that and he would, he would evade them in a, in he was a, like, he was like Tom Bombadil, you know? Yeah. He was. Like it was just like you, you ask him a question and he starts singing a song about something, you know, it's like he wouldn't sing, but you know, it's the same sort of thing. It was like, you know, just, uh, I'm not going to talk about that. Yeah, but he had, it was, it was, an, a, 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 it was sort of like meeting a street magician too, where you don't even realize what's happened until it's happened. It wasn't like you'd ask him like, what the hell is the difference between cardigan and textism? And he wouldn't just give you like no answer and be rude about it. He would make you feel as though he, you know, a, 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 it wasn't the least bit rude at all but then you'd right. realize at the end of it that he hadn't said it he hadn't explained it in the least bit <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a funny gag I'm, I'm looking at the cardigan industries and i still enjoy it but uh the way he formatted the dates is he has in text january 10 uh and then the, the year, the first two digits of the year are rendered as an image, the two O, and then just the O one mm. is text. And that's such a Dean Allen gag that <laughs> Yeah. It's like a throwback to like uh yeah. Uh, I don't know, like uh like mechanical devices that would tell you what the day is or something like that, but they would right. uh like growing up they would have like the nineteen was pre rendered or something like that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then that you know, that was the other thing is that like, like his sites were beautifully designed. You know, and it was sort of like again, that you know, that feeling for me of like, damn it, that's so good. Like I, I can't like I can't quite get there, you know. Right. Uh, fuse two hydrogen with one oxygen and repeat until you have enough. Exactly. <laughs> what a beautiful sentence. While, while the water is heating, raise <laughs> some cattle. 
pay a man with grim eyes to do the slaughtering, preferably while you are away. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, it really is. Um, so good. He, 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 I, you know, it's easy to get uh, maudlin about somebody after he's passed. Um, but I, and I, I would have said it while he was alive. I, he was the best at, at the, he was just the best at it of having a site that's like, you know, your site and you post these little things either on a daily basis or, you know, somewhat regularly. Um, and he was just the best at it. He really was. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, huge inspiration for me and, you know, and, and you too, absolutely, yep. you know, cocky was absolutely huge in inspiring me and sort of figuring out a format that I could do it. Um, but it's an inner, like you and Dean, like as dual influences, it was like, and I think, I, I don't think you'll take this the wrong way. It's not cause I certainly don't mean it as an insult in the least, but it was like, I totally got what you were doing. And with Dean, I, I didn't even <laughs> get it. I just knew that I loved it. Like, I don't even yep. know what you did there. It's like, I loved, I'd, I'd read a post from him and I'd, I would think, I'm not even sure what he did there, but I loved it. And yeah. I, I would like to try to do something like that. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was clearly something else going on behind the curtain that you didn't know about. Whereas, you know, like I can't help being just straightforward. So like it, you know, it's pretty much what you see is what you get. Um, but it's always nice discovering those sites, you know, like Dean's site, um, where you don't quite understand where they're coming from, but God, it's wonderful to read, you know? All right. Yeah. It always felt like there was a backstory and, and in joke in, in very, you know, like a, like a whole bunch of people who know exactly, it was written as though everybody knew what was going on. <laughs> and then I remember at one point, like saying like, well, the hell with this, I'm going back to the beginning and reading this whole thing, you know, going to his archive, I'm going to read the whole thing and then it'll all make sense to me. And it didn't, it was, it just started <laughs> like the first post, the first few posts started from the, the idea that everybody knew what was going on here. But, uh, it, 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 it wasn't, I don't know. It's, and, and I, I, we can parlay from, from our remembrances of Dean to just sort of talking about that era as a whole. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make it seem as though you and I are like the last two gunslinger standing from an era because there's all sorts of people who wrote back then who are still around and there's people like Dave Weiner who were doing it, you know, effectively started, you know, blogging like at Hotwired in like 94, 95. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, who's who's I as far as I know has has published on a regular basis, a daily basis probably other than when he was like, you know, dealing with like, you know, family issues or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it guys never stop. Um, yeah. But there was like a, a community and, and, you know, and it sort of ties together with like the early years of South by Southwest, where at least that's where we'd all get together. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many people who were writing back then who just over the years stopped or moved on to other things at the very least. And there aren't many yeah. sites from that group of people 
who, what did we used to call it even? When you, like in the sidebar of your site, you'd have like a list of other recommended sites. We had like a name oh, for like a, a blog roll. Blog roll, that's it. Yeah, like, blog roll. Um, there just aren't many sites from that era that are still around. Yeah. And, and there's something sad about that. And I don't know if, you, you know, what is it about about doing this that that you think has kept you going on a regular basis? Um, God, I don't even know. I mean, I think that, you know, I mean, it, it became my job several years ago. So that's, so that's one thing. Well, when did that happen? Um, When did you go full time? So 2005, so like February, 2005. And, you know, I did it, um, I basically had a, a, you know, like a PBS NPR style pledge drive. Where I said, "Hey, I'm. I just quit my job. Like, I want to do Kotki.org full time. Like, will you support me? Uh, you know, please sign up for, you know, uh, you know, please give me, you know, twenty bucks or something." Um, and I had all sorts of prizes. Like, I had books signed by Malcolm Gladwell, and and uh, you know, memberships in various things, and um, free software, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and. Uh, you know, I was able to able to get enough to to do it to you know sort of bootstrap it for the first year. And what were you doing? What were you doing before that to support yourself? Uh, I was a web designer, just like freelance, um, right? No, so I worked I worked at a at a financial services organization in New York called the Bond Market Association. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so it was it was basically all these company all these big companies that traded bonds. In, you know, 2004, 2005, they were, you know, all the companies that blew up the country or <laughs> almost blew up the country like two, three years later. Um, you know, and we were at work like at work and and we're like, hey, there are these new things called CDOs. Maybe we should make a, you know, a, a site that explains what they are and, you know, uh, collects information about their pricing and all of that sort of stuff. And we pres- we presented that idea to these to these you know bond companies, and they were like, nope, <laughs> we, we don't we don't want any transparency about this. I, I had know. no idea. I had no idea that you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't want people to know what's going on. <laughs> no, they did. They didn't. You know, with good, with good reason. There was nothing good going on. <laughs> we do not want people so, yeah, looking behind this curtain. No, no. <laughs> Um, and we're sort of, you know, and they're, they're like, you know, they're basically, you know, all these companies are like basically paying the, paying the dues, you know, paying their dues, paying for, you know, for this, this bond market association to exist. So we were like, yeah, okay, I guess we're not going to do that. There um, was, you know, uh, so going pro and being able to do it full time, uh, I think you're saying is one of the reasons you've been able to to keep doing it. And I think that that's probably true for me as well. I think if I hadn't been able to do it full time, I don't know that I would have stopped writing daring fireball, but I think it might've gotten very sporadic because I, I doing it as a side thing was exhausting. I was exhilarated Mm -hmm. by it, but the thing that the only thing that kept me going, uh, like in the first four years before I went full time in 2006 was, the notion that there I'd figure out some way to do it full time. 
And if, mm. you know, if that had never happened, like eventually that would have, uh, you know, give it enough years. It's like, well, this, it's not going to happen. I think without that carrot in front of me, it would have been too hard to keep going. And I don't blame people. I, that's the other thing is I get it that there were lots of people with very popular web blogs back then who had no desire to do it full time. But I also see how it wasn't sustainable to write as regularly as they, as they were without that. Well, I mean, once people start stopping, then, you know, your, your impetus to keep going to keep, you know, sort of writing within this group of, of similar minded people, you know, that a a little bit of that goes away every time someone stops, uh, you know, and people were getting married, having kids, starting companies, um, and just plain had other responsibilities, you know, like, I don't, I don't think after my, you know, after my son was born, if I wasn't doing the site full time, I think it would have just stopped completely because that, you know, if I, I would have had a job and, you know, a new son and it, it just would, that would have been the thing that had to go, you know, hmm. that's interesting. See, for me, it was the opposite. Jonas was born in 2004. So that was two years hmm. before I went full time. Uh, and I found it to be one of the most remarkably productive periods of my life. Now, part of it was that I, what I was doing to support myself was like f- mostly freelance web design and other mm-hmm. consulting type stuff. So I was doing it from home. So I didn't have to go somewhere at nine in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I literally like, I think like the original version of Markdown came out right after Jonas was born and all of the stuff you know like that whole first year in addition to writing during fireball was when markdown went from like a public beta to a 1.0 all (laughs) while i had like an infant son but and i I just have this vivid i remember where my desk was in our old house when he was born and i would just be the one who if he was up late at night that i would you know get him and take him out of you know out of the bedroom. And I remember doing so much work on Markdown with Jonas literally on my lap. Like I'd put my one Mm -hmm. leg on top of my knee and just sort of use it as a, a, my, my lap as a cradle. And I'd be sitting there typing Perl code. (laughs) And I just, I also remember writing a lot of daring fireball articles at like three or four in the morning with him on my lap. Yep. Um, so I totally get it that if you have a day job, it is incompatible if you have to actually, you know, and then I would just sleep till noon or whatever. Uh, right. Um, but I get it. I do get how it, it, you know, the group of people I'm talking about, we were largely about the same age and certainly the older mm-hmm. we get, it's effectively the same age, you know, like back then, yep. you know, it felt like, you know, if I was 29 and somebody else was 33, it'd be like, Oh, you're, you're, you're a couple years older than me. Now it's like, uh, (laughs) we're exactly the same age. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think starting companies too, like so many of the people we know from back then started their own companies and it was, you know, with actual products and stuff like that. And it's so, uh, super, super time consuming. So I can, I get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, Stuart Butterfield, who, you know, is now the CEO of Slack, and, you know, co-founded Flickr and, and all that stuff. Like he, his blog was one of my favorites back yeah. in the day. I actually you know? had Stuart in the back of my head for this. And it's like, well, I, I t- kind of get why he, he stopped blogging. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's kind of fascinating watching uh, just as a side note watching uh, like I kind of love s- s- good 2.0s and it's kind of fascinating watching slack and seeing it as Flickr 2.0 and like mm. You know, because I think in hindsight, he clearly, I, I think he and Katarina sold Flickr to Yahoo way too soon for way too little. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they regretted eventually, you know, quickly regretted all the loss of control that they had. Um, yeah. And now with Slack, it's sort of the opposite. And he's sort of built it up as this thing that he's, he's not going to have, you know, if he ever, if Slack ever does sell or whatever, it'll be on his terms. It's very, it's so right. interesting to me to watch it. Yeah. And yet there's still and, you know, certain like, aspects of it that are still so stewardy, you know, in a right. way that Flickr, the original version of Flickr was very, you know, you could, you could yep. see the DNA. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I feel like, you know, Ev is trying to do the, a similar thing with medium. Like, you know, he, he like he keeps bashing away at the same problem. Right. Right. You know, like Medium's like a 3.0. Right. You know, At it's least, like yeah. Blogger and then Twitter and then Medium right. you know, for him. Um, and maybe Odeo is like a 0.5 in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, Odeo's super interesting because it's like, you know, talk about being too early. Right. You know, it was like riding like the second wave of podcasting and now we're in like the eighth wave of podcasting or something. And it's like really going now. Yeah. Know? No, it's really become a thing. And, you know, everybody, you know, mainstream, you know, uh, you know, like CBS news has podcasts, you know, it's like you right. couldn't get more mainstream and audio. I, you know, they clearly, you know, have, you know, he's so, he's always been so good at seeing where internet based publishing in general is going and what would yeah. be the next big thing. And he was so clearly right that podcasting had a big, bright future ahead of it. It was just the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah, Ev is like one of the best, I think, product people, like ever. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I totally agree because he's, you know, he he has that Steve Jobsian thing of being able to see where it's going, yeah, way long in advance. You know that this is, you know, we're not gonna, you know, it's that it, literally a, like one of Jobs' famous quotes was something to the effect of, you know, we don't build what people ask us to build. We we figure out what they want and then build it for them right right yeah and you know going back to the you know early days of blogging and and blogger and stuff like that i remember you know they you know blogger at the time was still this thing that you know ftp'd files to people's you know to people's uh uh you know shell account and um you know they were talking about it you know, when they were doing, when they were thinking about doing Blogspot, like a hosted, you know, blogger thing, um, you know, they were talking about like, this is gonna, you know, Chinese people blogging is gonna like revolutionize, you know, politics in the world. And like, they were, they knew, you know, right. like Matt and Ev, Matt Howie and Ev and Meg and Paul Bausch, like, you know, they, they, it's like the discussions they were having are still like these same discussions that were like, like it, you know, it happened. All right. You know, all of that stuff came to pass. I always felt a bit guilty because I could see that they were doing that and I, I could tell that they were right and I found it terribly exciting. And I really didn't have a desire to contribute 
to building that sort of thing. I just wanted to use it myself. Like, mm. like I think it's, you know, I honestly feel it's, you know, not to get corny about it, but I honestly feel that with daring fireball, I, I feel like I've always felt that I was born at the right time. Like I've always felt very, very comfortable with like being a child of the eighties and, you know, going through the nineties as a young adult. Um, but I, I just, in my bones, I feel like daring fireball was what I was meant to do, you know, like rather than, I guess I contributed in some ways by inventing markdown, you know, to helping other people publish. But for mm -hmm. the most part, uh, I just wanted to use it. Like what keeps me going is that I never, I, I, there's never been like a week. I've been doing this for 15 and a half years, something like that. I never mm. finish a week and think that I wrote about everything I wish I had written about for the last week. Like there's mm. never, you know, like I've, I've never felt like I'm, uh, the ideas are dry. That's like the opposite. I have the opposite pro problem of what I think about when it comes to like, hmm, should I write a book? <laughs> Ideas. Right. None. Right. It's just a box, it's like a very dusty box that is completely empty. Whereas <laughs> ideas for things to write about or link to on Daring Fireball, it's I never catch up. It's like I've it's um it's like the the Lucy at the chocolate factory. Exactly. Yeah, that I mean and I feel like it's been getting worse for me. Like now it, it, it kind of bothers me. Like at the end of the week, I'm like, God damn it. I did not get enough done. Like I need to hire some more people or so, I don't know, something. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to hire anybody to like grow the site? Or? Let's, let's hold that thought. Let's hold that thought. Okay. And okay. I'm going to thank another one of our friends and we will pick Go it up it. right there. Cause that is actually one of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, our next sponsor is another new sponsor. Very, very excited about this one too. Flow. What is Flow? Flow is a beautiful project management system for teams everywhere. It is the easiest way to run your team, to manage projects, to track tasks, and stay up to date with everything happening at work. Um, if you're having trouble managing a busy team, battling floods of email and notifications, and just struggling to keep up with who's working on what, who's assigned to what, then Flow is for you. And one of the best things about Flow, and I think it's a perfect fit for my audience, is that it is designed by real designers, and it looks beautiful, and there's so much clarity in the interface in terms of what am I looking at, what is this? It is so clear when you look at it in terms of how it works. It's so clearly not like a a task management project management system built by, you know, like non-designing engineers. Really, really great. Would you could just go to the website and check it out and you'll see it instantly that it's really, really good for designers. Um, their world-class design team has worked with companies like Apple, Slack, Ted, and Starbucks. So that's some of the, the people who've worked with them. Uh, it's really simple and beautiful to use. And this year, now, Flow's been around for a while, but they've they've done like effectively a 2.0 and rebuilt Flow from the ground up to focus on making it the fastest, easiest, and most flexible way to visually plan and manage all of your team's work. So they have a brand new look and feel with new features, and uh, they're offering listeners of the show something special, an exclusive first look at this all-new Flow. So there's no reason that you should feel overwhelmed and distracted by the tools that are supposed to be doing the opposite, helping you feel organized and productive. Um, so what you can do to find out more is go to getflow.com. 
that's their their domain name getflow.com slash the talk show so not only do you get a sneak peek at their new stuff but they also have discounts um for people who follow that link if you sign up for an annual plan you save 50 percent which is a huge discount. I don't. I can't remember the last time anybody's offered a 50% discount. And if you go monthly, it's a 30% discount, which is still pretty significant. So go to getflow.com slash the talk show and check them out. It's really, really got to look at it and see it. It's very, very, very nice to look at. My thanks to them. So have I ever thought about hiring somebody? That's, uh, to me, it's one of the big differences between cocky and Daring Fireball is everything I've, there's never been anything on Daring Fireball, not by me. And mm-hmm. have I thought about it? Yeah. Uh, but at it's this point, it feels like Cal Ripken's streak. Like I, you know, <laughs> like, and part of it too, is that I feel like you're, you're more like Johnny Carson. Like the, you don't, there's your natural and Johnny had, you know, guest hosts, you know, who went on to bigger and better things, including Letterman and Leno and, um, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, Gary Shandling, all sorts of people who went on to great things, guest hosted the tonight show so that Johnny could take it easy and work as Letterman once had backbreaking three day, three nights a week for 40 weeks a year. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I also feel, I feel like I'm more like Letterman though. Like I'm neurotic and, uh, like I'm not comfortable with that. Like Johnny had no reason to be mm. worried about it because he was Johnny Carson. It didn't matter if David Letterman guest hosted, you know, on Monday. It didn't matter how good he did. You know, Johnny's still Johnny. And I feel like you know you've had guest hosts. I forget. I mean, I've lost track of how many guest hosts there have been at Kotke over the years. Yeah, I mean more more than a dozen, I would say, at least. I mean, it started. I mean, the first time was when I went to th- South by Southwest in was it 2000 maybe 2001 and i don't know why i felt the need to keep the site updated while i was there or to have the site be updated while i was there but i asked my friend greg naus to uh to fill in and i don't know it just seemed like a i don't know i I can't even remember why i did it like i'm i guess it must have seemed like i needed to i don't know didn't Aaron Swartz guest host once or, or no, am I misremembering? No, no, okay. no, no. Uh, I remember Greg um, doing it. Um, Greg remains one of the world's, uh, best experts on movable type, uh, experts. right. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how relevant <laughs> that skill is, but it's still, if whenever I need serious help with movable type, I still go to Greg. Uh, yeah. He's also a wonderful writer. Like I he love is. his writing. He's he's really good. Um, I, I wish I wish he would do more of it. Yeah. If he's listening, Greg, write yeah. more. <laughs> uh, yeah. For me, I don't know. It's irrational. Uh, and at this point, it is. You know, I'm not gonna say it's trouble, but it, it means that like even when I go on vacation, I'm still posting at least something to Daring Fireball almost yeah. every day. And yeah. I don't mind it, uh, but I wonder at, at this point, I, like Andy Bayo's talking about people from that era. You know, a- Andy asked me a few years ago, "What was the long? What's the longest period of time between posts to Daring Fireball since it started?" And in the early days, it might be it's easily a couple of days because, like from two thousand two to two thousand four, 
I didn't have the short articles, you know, the ones that I call linked list entries. I only had like full big headline mm. articles and I, you know, but I don't think, I don't think I ever went a week without an article in that era. Um, mm -hmm. And then from 2004 onward, I, I really, my guess would be that I've never gone more than 72 hours without posting something. And if, wow. and if I'm wrong, it wouldn't be much longer than that. Um, yeah, I, I love, you know, like I love doing the site and like it, 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 I mean, it's obviously like the thing that I do that gives me the most, uh, that makes me the happiest sort of overall, like intellectually, emotionally, whatever. Uh, but I really love getting away from it and like not, you know, like I, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago and, um, uh, a friend of mine, Chris Anthe, took took over the site for the week, and I didn't read it until I got back. Hmm. I just didn't. I just didn't read it. Um, I stayed off Twitter. I still use Instagram because I feel like Instagram is more of a personal sort of thing. It's not work. Um, but I, I, I just, I love. I don't know. I love getting away from it, and then I come back, and I feel like I'm like, okay, let's let's do this thing again. You know, it's really. It, I don't know. It's really nice to recharge. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I don't know what that feels like. <laughs> I don't know what that would feel like. I really don't. <laughs> Maybe you should give it a try sometime. Uh, I don't I don't know. Does, does does Amy like does Amy give you shit about that? Like or does she just sort of like this is the deal. This is who I married. No, I uh... I would say a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. And I've, I I right. feel like I've gotten good at it. it Twitter has made it much easier, uh, in my opinion, because I can, we can go on vacation and just by checking Twitter every once in a while, uh, I can queue up things that are good to link to and instead of doing mm -hmm. it right there and pecking it out. I, I have a way, I have a way, you know, I have the movable type, uh, iPhone plugin thing, which is a fairly reasonable interface to posting on the phone. But mm -hmm. usually what I do is I use, um, uh, and I wanted to ask you some questions about how, how you do what you do. But I, I, for the most part, if, if I'm on vacation or just traveling in general, I'll find things that I think are worth linking to, and I'll send those links to Pinboard, uh, mm. you know, the successor to yep. Delicious. And, um, for the most part, everything in my pin board is just sort of a waiting queue for things I might post to during Fireball. Even when I'm not on vacation, I use pin board for this exact purpose. Like in the morning when I wake up, if I read the, you know, I'm not really ready to post stuff to, to during Fireball. Or if I'm just on the phone in general, I just send it to, to pin board. And I find it useful because when I come back to pin board and I have time, like let's say I'm on vacation, but I've, you know, here, I'll take 30 minutes here. And sometimes you can, like, the best way to tell if I'm on vacation is if I've got, you know, <laughs> if you look, look like an RSS where the times are actually there and I have four posts on a Wednesday, but they're all within 30 minutes, you know, like three to three 30 mm -hmm. in the afternoon, but it's because I've queued them up and I may not have them written, but I know what I want to say, but I'll look at like maybe the 10 most recent things that I've queued up and like six of them, I'm now like, eh, and I'm nah, that's not worth it. And it's, yep. it's, it's good to have that cooling off period to, for me, at least in terms of what's actually worth linking to. 
Um, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's that's exactly how I approach it. I don't use pinboard; I use Instapaper, but that's exactly how I do it. And you know, the thing about the cooling off period is is totally a thing. Hmm. Like I'll you know I'll find something and then I'll go back to it you know a few hours later and I'm like yeah no not feeling it anymore yeah so Amy might have a different answer as to how annoying it is when <laughs> when, when we're ostensibly on vacation and how much of my day I still spend doing that sort of thing but it I don't think it takes that much time and for me the mm-hmm. things that take so much time are when I write real articles and I you know I that's something I don't do when I'm on vacation and do take breaks right. from. Um, and do come back sometimes feeling refreshed. Like it's interesting when you look at the daring fireball archives. Um, if you just go to daringfireball.net slash archive, um, it only lists my quote unquote full articles. Um, but they're organized by month going all the way back to 2002. And you can see, and it's not purposeful. I don't do it on purpose, but you can see that there are stretches where it's very, very dry you know, like two or three month period, three, four month period where I've only had like two or three per month. Um, and then other times where there's seven, eight, nine a month for months at a time. Um, so there's something to that, but to me, the actual, just linking to a few things a day part, uh, it, it, it's, it, it's so easy to me. And I'm so, even when I'm on vacation, I'm still like a news junkie. Like I can't turn that off. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not a news junkie, which is a little bit of a weird thing to say about myself, I guess. <laughs> well, that's one of the most interesting things about Kaki over Kaki.org over the years is that it's not really it's never really been maybe the 9/11 stretch was a, a, an obvious exception, um but for the most part it's absolutely never been about n- news. Yeah. Never. I mean, the, yeah. the closest thing to news that I regularly count on is when I, you know, it's off org is often the first place where I see the trailer to a movie that, oh yeah, I want to see that. Right, right. So if you called, you know, new movie trailers, news, you know, maybe that's the closest <laughs> you get to it. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, I feel like, I don't know. I don't read I don't read the news a whole lot. Like I, I don't keep up with the news, you know, quote unquote, the news. Um, I think a lot of it is kind of unnecessary and just sort of, I don't know. There are very few things in my life that I need that much information about. Um, you know, like, like the, there are entire channels devoted to, how the stock market does minute by minute. Like that seems insane to me. Like you normal people don't need that information, you know, but there are plenty of sort of normal people that, that, that do like watch that stuff sort of meticulously. Um, and I, I don't know. I just don't find, I, I, I'm just not that way about it. I don't know. No, I get it. I don't, I don't think it's healthy. <laughs> uh, no, even though I, mean, I admit to doing it myself, but I don't think it's healthy. And I, I think that people who don't pay that much attention to the news are probably much happier than people who do. Right. I mean, I, I guess maybe it's just a matter of like what you pay meticulous attention to because, you know, I, I'm on Twitter all day. Um, and 
you know, obviously like I do see the news, I'm aware of news happening. Right. Uh, but I'm not interested in sort of drilling down into, you know, a lot of, a lot of things. Hmm. Um, you know, I guess I'm more interested in, in, I don't know, like longer reign, you know, longer themes and ideas and, and, and things like that. Hmm. Um, you know, in, in the, you know, in the, in the sites, more expansive moments in the sites, you know, sort of like at it, at its best. Hmm. Um, but there are obviously like, you know, silly videos and stuff too, because <laughs> silly video, people love silly videos. Well, do you think, I think that that's one of the ways that, that cocky.org is the most different now from the early days is that it's, it's large, you know, on a regular, almost daily basis, there's videos that are posted. Whereas like you even said, like back in, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002, even for a couple of years after that, it was, it's so inordinately expensive to host video, uh, that video was just, it, it you just couldn't post it. It was too expensive, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And the way we would post it back then is you'd have to, you'd have to put it on your own server and cause there was nothing like YouTube, not, not even nope. nothing to even compare it to. And then your, everybody's hosting account had like a monthly bandwidth limit and you would just multiply how many page views you had by how big the video was. And you, you easily got to that limit within like 20 minutes and then, yep. and then people would get like, uh, forget what the error message was, but you know, there's like an error code, like temporarily suspended. Right. Yeah, I mean, YouTube and Vimeo, like, they changed changed that whole thing um, where, you know, just made embedding videos on sites easy. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, you know, I, I mean, I was a designer and I, you know, the, the, like, Oscillate was very visual. And, you know, I think it was just sort of this thing where it was like, you know, I, the site, you know, Kotke.org was on, like, a friend's server, and I wasn't really paying that much for it. And so I couldn't really embed images or, you know, certainly not videos and things like that. And so it was sort of out of necessity that it was very text heavy and, you know, sort of as things evolved and, you know, moved to my own server and, and all that sort of stuff and bandwidth has, you know, just gotten cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Um, you know, now it's like, I want to, I want to be, you know, I want to, I want the site to be as visual as possible because like, that's, you know, like I, I love text and I, you know, I think, you know, Tim Carmody has written on my site that, you know, if you, if you bet against text, you will lose, hmm. uh, you know, text will always be around and it will always, you know, be a contender for like the thing that people are always using, you know, but I think that, you know, a lot of what I s- a lot of what I watch and consume is, is, you know, it's, it's visual, uh, you know, whether that's, it's good photography or, um, you know, movie trailers, like you said, or, you know, some weird thing on, on Vimeo. Uh, I, did you see, I'm sure you saw the, the, cause I know you're a Spike Jones fan. The, um, he did the recent music video for Apple with the home pod. And then today at age, I think has it exclusively the behind the scenes, Oh, I didn't, I didn't see that behind the scenes. Oh, well, you're going to love it. Um, 
I thought this was obvious. I, I thought it was obvious, no, both knowing Spike Jones and having seen the video, that almost everything they did was a practical effect, like all the stretching stuff going on while she danced in her apartment. I could tell that that was all practical. I, it didn't look like CGI to me. Um, but a lot of people are obviously so I, I think just so basically assume anything that's a special effect is computer generated. Now we're blown away, like at the behind the scenes of how they actually did this. And it's just like, they just had two guys behind the wall, just pulling it backwards. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's Practical to me, effects still rule, but I mean, to me, it, it, it's a, like a six or seven minute video. It's arguably more interesting than the video itself. And I, you know, but they're both lovely, but it's the sort of thing that pre YouTube, you would have to like, I remember, I forget the name of it, but there were like a series of DVDs that came out in the late nineties of like great music videos. Um, yeah. And, um, I've got it down here in my little podcast cave in the basement. It's in a box somewhere down here on DVD. Um, but it was so fantastic. I remember watching it over and over and over again because you could then watch these great music videos. But then they had like behind the scenes stuff. But it was the sort of thing that like pre YouTube, you'd, you'd hear that there was this great behind the scenes video of, you know, a Spike Jones video. But you'd have to figure out a way to hunt it down on, you know, it was like trying to find bootleg tape tapes back in the 80s. <laughs> You had to know a guy and right. you'd hear of, it was you know more of like a rumor or a legend than something that you would just click a button and now you can watch it at any point you want. Yeah. I mean, everything, I mean, that's the thing now, like everything has DVD extras, right? You know, uh, I, I find, and it is weird. Like now that Kotki is so video heavy, I do find that, um, uh, it takes me longer to read your site <laughs> than it used to because <laughs> it, you can't, I can read so much faster than a video goes that, uh, mm -hmm. but that's largely what I do is I, at the end of the day, I still to me, um, uh, one of the sites where I just go to and read, like, I don't even bother with RSS for your site. I just, you know, mm -hmm. I just have this habit of just going there in a new window so that all the tabs are, are from this, uh, Go, but I'm just braced now that I'm not just going to open up a bunch of tabs that I'm going to spend at least 15 minutes watching video. Right. Right. And that's definitely a difference. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and you, like you, I think, you know, maybe have embedded two or three videos all time. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't like embeds. I really, <laughs> uh, I've done my live talk shows videos as embeds from Vimeo. Mm -hmm. uh, right. I remember when I saw, like, I think, like, the first embed you had, like, like an, even an image, um, like, I was shocked. And I think it was probably, like, it was probably, like, a photo of your son. Yeah, I think that might have been. It might have been the first image on Daring Fireball. And if, it was, it other was than a shocking. Graph, right, right. It was shocking. It was like, oh my god! <laughs> I still get that. I have. I even have like a list here of uh, <laughs> posts on Daring Fireball with photos slash images, and it's one. Wow. I don't know. Somewhere around twenty. Yeah, it can't be many. <laughs> but I know that. I don't think it's complete yet. Uh, 
I, I think that there might be some older ones that I've missed, but every time I encounter mm. one, I do that because what happens is, uh, I'll post something and I'll put a photo in it and, and I'll get like on Twitter, like, holy shit, is this the first time there's ever been an image on daring fireball? And I'm like, right. you know, no, it's happened like 20 <laughs> times over the last 16 years, you know? And I'm usually not, I'm usually not the sort of person who, I, I just assume that there's almost nobody who reads everything I post, right? I, I, I don't expect mm. anybody to, to be a completionist. I'm sure there's a handful of people who are, and I know, I thank them. I, there, I'm glad. There's that, way more than a handful based, based upon like the feedback that I've gotten in my inbox. Like there are people that pay meticulous attention and there are a lot of them. Well, I think it's healthier though for us to pretend that there aren't right. And that now don't okay. assume that somebody's a complete, you know what I mean? Like yes. it's, it's, yes. uh, but with the images thing, I, I sometimes get a little, <laughs> I get a little sour about it. It's like, it's not that rare. When, uh, when are you going to update your design? So it's like nice and responsive. Oh, and, and it's like, uh, whatever I was, let's, I, let's open that can of worms a year ago, a year ago, I started promising people that it would happen by the end of summer. Cause I thought if I publicly, yeah, yeah, I mean, if I publicly, you told, you told me about it. Yeah. If I publicly promise on Twitter, that would make me do it, you know? Mm. And, and then it turned out summer was not, it, it, I thought, well, summer will be a good time. Cause there's not a lot of news and stuff and I can, I can have time. And then it like summer came and went and it didn't happen. So I don't know soon. I, I would like it to be. So I don't really, I'm not, you know, there's no, there is something it is age related. I, there's no doubt about it where if the, if I, if I were my 30 year old self, it would be done already. It's, mm. there is some part of me that is, I can tell is different and is more resistant to uh, change. Like I wish that it were so I really don't. Right. Uh, and the worst thing that ever happened in my opinion to it is that I've, when the iPhone first came out, um, I forget what the meta tag is, but there was something that I, it was a very easy bit of meta tag that I could add to HTML that made it so that if you double tap on the text column, it pretty much looks like what, um, what it should look like by default when you load it. So you're really just one double mm. tap away from it looking pretty good on an iPhone. And I think that's the worst thing that ever happened to it. I think it would have been better if my existing design just could not be made to look good on a phone. Cause then I would have to, <laughs> <laughs> do it. It is right. bizarre though. It, and it's, you're right to call me out on it. And I really don't have a good excuse other than laziness, I guess. Right. I don't know. It just never seems like it's the same reason my office is a mess, even though we just mm. moved is it never feels like today is the day where I should spend all day decluttering my office. I could just, you know, there's real work to be done, which is dicking around on the internet and posting links. Uh, right. Like I'm just, uh, you know, it's like putting a healthy meal and some candy in front of a child. Like I all the candy to me is posting stuff to daring fireball mm -hmm. and I cannot, I can't resist it. Right. But I have uh, no, I have no excuse for it. I don't know about you, but, uh, the iOS or an iPhone in particular is the majority of my traffic these days. Like if anything, I would by the number of people and how much traffic I serve, I would be better off with an iPhone only design and showing the iPhone design to people on desktop browsers than the other way around just in terms of the yeah. numbers. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that was, you know, my most recent 
design is wasn't quite mobile first, but it was, you know, mobile in a tie for first, yeah. you know, with, with desktop as far as like how I thought about the design. Yeah. Um, cause you know, like I don't think, I don't think the majority of my traffic is, is on mobile, but you know, it's, it's trending. It's trending that way. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a good excuse. Uh, does, I, uh, does, I, does Jonas know HTML? Like, can no, you get him on the, no, on the he's not, he's not interested. He's on yeah. a computer all the time. Uh, but he's really not, uh, it's, you know, and I don't think I'm a poor father. It's not like I haven't tried introducing him to it, but he just doesn't really have an interest in coding. And I don't know, you know, huh. it, it seems like the sort of thing that could suddenly ignite but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I know that by the time I was his age, I would have been all over it. It's just, right. you know, I don't know. I don't know what to do as a parent sometimes in terms of how much to encourage him to do things that I think he should be doing and how much I should let him follow his own interests. Totally. Yeah, I just, um, like last week, I just sat down with Ollie. He's 10 now, and uh, I we installed uh, Swift Playgrounds mm-hmm. on his iPad. And so he played around with that. And, you know, he's done stuff like um, code.org and a little bit of Scratch. And uh, what's the other one? I can't remember the name of the other one. Um, but, you know, he's done some programming stuff. So, like, he's aware of, you know, like loops and variables and functions and all that sort of stuff. And he's, you know, he's done it in several different types of programs. Um, but he was like, Daddy, I think I think Swift is 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 the best one. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, interesting. And, and, you know, and I think one of the things that's really exciting to him is that like, I told him, I was like, okay, so like once you do code here, like you can put it into Xcode, which is this program that you can use to write actual like iOS apps. And he was like, Oh, you know, that was the thing. He was just like, Oh, geez. I I tried I, I I didn't force Jonas to do the Swift playgrounds. You know, like the you're talking about like the thing where you uh, like the learning to code playgrounds, where there's like a it's like you're exactly. guiding a little video game character around a 3D landscape with like turn left, turn right, go forward. Exactly. Um, I had Jonas do it. I think last summer on his iPad uh, as like well, you know, in addition to like your summer reading, here's something you can do. Uh, you know, that's actually not just watching friends reruns on netflix uh and he did it but he was sour about it and purpose Mm. purposefully did it stupidly like instead of (laughs) like when he got to the lesson about learning loops instead of doing it in a loop he just copied and pasted four times and was sort of like (laughs) like doing like doing them the the worst way possible. And I was like, you know, that's not the right, that wasn't the right way to do it. It was like, I would say like, Hey, did you get through, you know, three or four playgrounds, you know, steps in the thing? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm done. And then I looked at his solutions and they were awful. And, and, Mm -hmm. and it was like, he was just doing it as fast as he could to get to watching friends reruns on Netflix. (laughs) Right. And I was like, well, I'm not going to force it down his throat. Cause I feel like that it would have the opposite reaction. I got to wait for for him to come to me. Um, I'm also dreadfully fearful at this point that, that when I go to modernize the daring fireball layout, that it'll be so much less work than I'd been anticipating for years (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that it's, that it'll make me feel bad. (laughs) 
I mean, everything is like you have everything templated on the back end, right? Yeah. So you can just change like headers and footers and, you know, this and that. Yeah. And it, yeah, that's, pro- that's probably true. That's probably true. I, the other part, if I have a good excuse, the other part is that I would like to, like, I'm happy with the longevity of the current design and I would like to, with the next, the next redesign, I would like to have it be like, this is the one for the rest of my career. Like just one mm. more and, you know, measure twice. But it's, at this point, it's more like measure 40 times, cut once. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge burden to put on to put on yourself. <laughs> right. And, yeah, and uh, as evidenced by the... I can the, see why you're stuck in the mud spinning your wheels on this, you know. <laughs> right. right. In the back of my head, I've had this idea of, you know, and like you've, you mentioned this in your 20-year anniversary post that you think you could go another 20 years. And I feel mm-hmm. like I, I could easily go another... T- I would love to be doing this for another 20 years. But mm-hmm. thinking, like, how do I make a design that'll last 20 or 25 years is it can be a little paralyzing. <laughs> like yeah. I really probably, sh- it's not helpful at all to have that in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So take a number one, take a vacation and leave your phone in, uh, you know, in the, in the safe in the hotel. And, uh, number two, like, you know, think simple about, about the redesign thing. <laughs> That's my advice to you. Uh, <laughs> All right. You're probably right. <laughs> How many times have you redesigned Kotki.org over the years? And your redesigns Ugh. have been tr- truly significant. Like, the redesign that I have envisioned for Daring Fireball is the least exciting. Like, the colors aren't changing. It would just be right. update the fonts and update the sizes of the fonts and make it responsive, more or less. Right. You, I mean, your task would be to make to – make the daring fireball design more of itself yes and also you know of of the present era let's say right <laughs> charitably <laughs> no i i mean i i love the design of daring fireball um it, it's like it's like this constant in oh sort of this ever-changing world of 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 the web that you know changes all the time um, but, uh, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how many times I've redesigned probably eight, six or eight, like major, major ones. I still think of the canonical org design as the one that had the, that ever so slightly greenish yellow banner at the top where mm-hmm. the org part was in din. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what era that is. It's probably somewhere around 2003, 2004, something like that. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Um, maybe, maybe even a little bit earlier. Yeah, maybe. Uh, um, I, I still, always think of the, I always think of the concentric, you know, the concentric uh, yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Yellow one. That's, I think that's my, like when I look at that, I was like, I fucking knocked that out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was very good. And, and, you know, and I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy where I'm like, yeah, I did a good job. It's mostly, it's like that sucked and it, <laughs> it but it's done. It was a good trick. It also, it's also a sort of thing that sounds like a terrible idea that you're going to have concentric color gradients around the entire four sides of the page. Uh, right. That sounds terrible to me, but that, you know, it's the way it's distracting. Right. But the way it actually turned out was actually, uh, it was like perfect. Just right. 
Yeah. Uh, all right, let me take a, uh, one more break here and thank our third and final sponsor of the show. It's our good friends at Fracture. You guys know Fracture, of course. Fracture makes uh, handmade photo prints directly on glass. Here's the gist of it, if you haven't heard of them. You have photos that you've taken with your camera or iPhone camera, whatever other camera. You pick your favorite ones. You send them to Fracture. You go to their website. You pick a size from them. Could be really big. They've got really, really big ones that can fill up a whole wall. They've got really, really small ones that you can put on your desk or your mantle. And they've got all sorts of sizes in between. They have square. They have rectangles. You you put your picture. You show it to them. You send it to them. You pick your size. They send it to you. And it's your photo directly on glass. Not like a piece of paper that they glue to the glass. Somehow they print on glass. I don't know how they do it. Uh, but the effect is really, really impressive. And then what you can do with it, it's just edge to edge, corner to corner. There is no frame. There's no bezel. Uh, so like the whole direction, like our cell phones are moving with these ever smaller bezels, like a fracture print is like the canonical ideal of where that's going, where it's just edge to edge picture and everything you need to hang it on a wall or prop it up like on a desk or whatever. It all comes in the cardboard box that the that the print comes in. So you don't need to buy anything else to hang it up. Uh, they look so great and it is so fun and it, it's so great to get your pictures off a little four inch piece of glass in your pocket and actually see them really big. Uh, like everybody, you know, like the megapixel wars in cameras are sort of over. Nobody really brags about megapixels anymore, but it turns out that like the 12 megapixel camera on your phone can take pictures that look really big, really good at an incredibly big size. Like you'd think no way would an iPhone picture look good at like a 20 inch picture. Uh, turns out it looks great. It's, they've got plenty of pixels to spare. Um, and looking at your pictures really big is so it's just, I, I don't know. It's just very different than looking at them on a little tiny thing that fits in your pocket. Um, Cannot recommend it highly enough. And I always say this when Fracture sponsors the site. They are the, this is like the single greatest gift idea for family in the history of mankind. So like with Mother's Day coming up, uh, Father's Day after that, getting fa Fracture prints of your pets or your kids or just you and sending them to your family, your parents and stuff like that. It's just absolutely amazing in terms of how easy it is to take care of the nagging idea in the back of your head that you have to get a gift for your mom or whoever else, um, the cost effectiveness, and then just how happy they make the people you give them to really is a great idea. So here's where you go to find out more. Just go to fracture.me. And when you go to buy, you can save 15% on your first order with this exclusive code talk T A L K 15, the digits one five talk 15, and you'll save 15%. And then don't forget to mention this podcast in their one question, where did you hear about Fracture survey? Uh, it helps support the show and helps them know uh, where their ad money is well spent. So my thanks to Fracture. Uh, what were we talking about? I always forget. Uh, I can't remember. I was, I was listening to, to the, to the <laughs> Fracture thing. And 
I, I, I don't have any fracture in my house, and I think I probably need some now. You really should. I, it's amazing. Uh, I always think I have enough, and then I like I was at Marco's house a while back, and they, they literally, like, I know he says it when on their the Accidental Tech podcast that their house is filled with fractures, but it really is, and it's kind of amazing. I mean, it helps that mm. uh, Tiff Arment is actually, like, a professional photographer. <laughs> like, the pictures right. are actually, like... A lot better than my sort of ham-fisted uh, prosumer level of photography, but uh, it's like one of those things that you really can't get enough of. There's no home that has too many photos of family members or places that you've gone, etc. Um. Well, we could talk uh, business. I mean, like one, you know, one of the things that's challenging doing this, and and I think that so. F- I'm a little disappointed at how few people do what we do. Like when I first went Mm. pro, you went, you know, started doing cocky full time in 2005 was a huge inspiration for me. I started in 2006 was the last time I I had like a job job. Um, And I thought at the time that, that we were ahead of the pack because we had the background that, you know, the technical background in that era to know about things like HTML and CSS and even just getting movable type installed, you know, you needed to be somewhat of a nerd. And I thought, you know, it's no surprise that a lot of the early popular bloggers were people who had some level of technical acumen. I mean, Dean Allen wrote his own CMS uh, textile or no textile was the format. What was it called? Text pattern. Uh, Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Mark Pilgrim was a good programmer or is it still a good programmer? Uh, it's no surprise that the people who were nerdy enough to sort of, you know, know what FTP is and HTML and, uh, were the early ones. And I thought, well, now that it's getting easier and easier to publish and you don't, you know, you can just go to WordPress or .org and sign up and you don't have to know anything about web hosting and you don't have to know HTML and CSS that there'll be more people who do this independent publishing thing is their occupation. And it turns out, no, that, <laughs> that didn't happen at all. And if anything, there's fewer people now doing it than before. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, pro blogs were a thing before, you know, before I went, you know, before I went independent, um, you know, Gawker, well, Gizmodo was the first site, and then Gawker was the second site, and that was in 2002. Um, so, I, you know, I think there was an, there was already an, sort of an established thing where you could you could do you could do blogging professionally, but you you know did it at, you know uh, you were hired to do it like right. you know it was a media site, and so right. like you were hired to you know be a blogger for someone else. And that was sort of this established thing. And, and, you know, doing it by yourself was not, you know, you're right. It it was not really a thing. And, and, you know, surprisingly few people picked it up afterwards. Um, But I do think it's interesting now, like with, especially with YouTube and Instagram, there are tons of people who are doing what we do just, Mm. you know, in sort of, you know, different media, like, you know, you, uh, you know, there are plenty of YouTubers making, you know, a living yes. doing, uh, doing videos and, and, you know, there's people on Instagram that, that, 
that make money doing, you know, sponsored posts and all that sort of stuff. If they, you know, if you have enough followers and, um, so, I mean, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know why blogs didn't take off in that way. Like independent, you know, independent pro blogs. Yeah. I don't know either, but YouTube is a fantastic counter example where it's, there's probably an uncountable number of people, uh, you know, individuals who are, supporting themselves in some cases, you know, very, very well, um, just doing their own YouTube channel. That's a great example. And I don't know why it's different. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's something different about it. Um, but you one know, of the, and, and well, now with, well, sorry, now with sites like Patreon, like you've got, yeah. you know, you've got people who, you know, that's, that's, you know, you can, you can, so you can have a YouTube channel and you can run ads and, you know, Google will pay you what they think is, <laughs> what they think is right. But, you know, you can also appeal directly to your viewers and, and, you know, stick a page on Patreon and say, Hey, like, if you like this, you, you know, you should support it. And, you know, people are using Patreon for stuff like, and also, you know, Kickstarter has a, has a new thing called drip, I think. Um, and, you know, pe people who write newsletters, people who write blogs, um, people who are, you know, do all of those sorts of things or who are freelance journalists, like they're, they're using that as a way to, you know, support their independent work. And so it's, it's interesting to see this kind of like boomerang back around again, you know? Yeah. And that's exactly where I'm going with this, where like just referencing back to the drudge report starting as a $10 a year email newsletter, like email newsletters are back in a big way. And that's one of the way people are, you know, supporting themselves individually. Ben Thompson, who's often on this show mm -hmm. at Stratechery, uh, and a whole bunch of other similar sites where, um, you know, the basic formula, um, that Ben kind of carved out is one time a week, he posts the thing that's up publicly for everybody to look at. But then the other days of the week, it's a members only email newsletter. Um, and the only way to see it is to pay and people, you know, because it's good, people are willing to pay. Uh, mm -hmm. but what an old school idea. Right. I mean, that literally, you know, it, you know, Drudge was doing it in 1995 before yeah. the web was really even a thing. Anyway, you one of the things and I think you started this last year where you re rebooted the idea of a membership system at cocky dot org. Mm -hmm. Was it last year? Yeah, I it was in uh, 2016. All right. Well, I forgot what year it was. <laughs> I knew it was 2016, and I'd I already forgotten that it's already 2018. Uh, so two years ago, or a year and yeah. a half ago, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, a year and a half ago, yeah. Um, and like you said, like you tried a membership-type thing in 2005, and I tried mm -hmm. a membership-type thing in 2006 that was really ultimately just about selling T-shirts. Uh, right. But I did really well selling T-shirts. Like I literally could not have gotten Daring Fireball off the ground as a full-time job without that initial batch of T-shirts. Like I made like thirty grand from, or at least I revenue was like thirty grand, and mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> like to because every single dollar counted. Instead of outsourcing any of it, I did the whole thing locally. <laughs> And Amy, right. Amy, like every single person who bought, like from the first two to, first two years of me selling T-shirts, your shirt was hand packed by my wife, <laughs> and I would I had hundreds, uh, thousands maybe of of T-shirts that I had to both ship get to my house from the 
local print shop here in Philly and then get to the post office with postage and for all the over uh, out of the country ones with the uh, custom slips filled out by hand. Uh, wow. And all I had was a little Subaru Impreza, not a hatchback, like just a, <laughs> like the smallest, <laughs> the smallest four door sedan that Subaru made. Like it was absolutely not designed for <laughs> boxes and boxes of, uh, and it was just, uh, I, I'm sure there might've been a better way, but I just remember I'd go, I'd get to the post office and I couldn't do it like all in one trip. I would just be as much as I could possibly stuff in the car at a time. But then I was like, with no one else to help me, it was like, I would have to park the car as close to the post office as I could get, <laughs> which in the city is often not that close. And right. then carry as many boxes of t-shirts as I could into the post office and hope, you know trust that nobody was going to steal them while I went back to the car to get the rest of the boxes of shirts and then get in line and push like eight boxes of t-shirts up with me until I got to the counter. <laughs> and then one by one, they would start taking, taking and scanning these shirts. And it was like, I was like the guy you did not want to get behind at the post office. Right. Yeah. I was, I was just imagining like the people coming in behind you and saying, Oh my God, well, who's this fucking asshole? <laughs> It was funny because I got to know there there were three women who worked at the post office I went to, and there was two of them obviously did not want to deal with me, and the third was very nice and very sympathetic. And so, you know, it's sort of like like when you go to a barber shop, but you, you know, like instead of just going next, if you've got you know like Tony as your guy, you'll wait until Tony's free. Like I would wait until mm -hmm. she was the next. Event. I would let people go ahead of me until I got the one who I knew was going to be nice to me. Right, <laughs> and any but that those those initial rounds of t-shirt sales with me admitting publicly that hey i you know you know this is how i'm hoping to get this off the ground we're instrumental to it um yeah no i i, I remember that and like it's still like a very unique approach but I never really did anything with memberships. The only thing I did for members was that I, at the time, it, for like a year, it was the only way to get the full content RSS feed that, you know, like the right. regular free RSS only had the headlines and like the first few words of a post. And if you wanted everything, you'd have to be a subscriber. Um, I don't, I won't go into it because I talked about this at XOXO a couple years ago, but it, I, mm. how I accidentally stumbled upon the best business idea I've ever had which is long story short that the the password protected RSS feeds never worked with Google Reader. Uh, mm -hmm. And I always thought, I thought for a long time, well, eventually they will, because of course it's, you know, it's a good, and then I realized it suddenly dawned on me, no, they're never going to support password protected feeds because the whole point of doing anything at Google is to be able to do it at scale. And there's absolutely no way that they want to hit my RSS feed a couple thousand times for a couple thousand paid subscribers, they want to hit it once and give it to everybody. And so they're never yep. going to su support password protected feeds. And I, everybody, I kept getting email on a daily basis, you know, like very nice, but like, Hey, I use, I've switched from whatever to Google reader. Um, how can I get my full content feed to work? And, and the, the emails were always of how do I get this to work? Cause surely there must be a way to get it to work. And I feel bad asking mm -hmm. you, but I couldn't figure it out. And then I have to explain, no, it actually doesn't work. And I thought, well, how can I s still make money and make everybody happy? And I thought, well, maybe I could sell a weekly sponsorship for the RSS feed. And it turned out right. to be way more lucrative than the membership thing that it replaced. Yeah. Yeah. 
so I completely stumbled into it accidentally. And thanks to Google Reader, which still is something of a sore spot for me, at least in terms of when it went away, you know, I, did, we talked about this before too, right? Like when Google Reader shut down, traffic to Daring Fireball dropped by a third and never recovered. Hmm. I don't think My, I lost I, I, readers, but I lost I lost regular like you know I don't think people dropped off, but I think the number of times a day they hit the site dropped off. Right, right. I you know I didn't see that that sharp decline like that. I, mine has been it's been more steady, and you know I think definitely Google Google Reader is a you know was a was a factor. Um, but more, I think it's, you know, like mobile and, you know, Facebook yeah. consuming more and more, pe- more and more people's attention. Yeah. I still get a ton of traffic to the Daring Fireball homepage. Surely you get mm-hmm. a, a ton of homepage traffic. Like it yep. doesn't make sense to me. Like when I look at newer sites and I get it, you know, like sites that have evolved or, or were created in the social media era where their homepage isn't even really a thing. It's just... You know, right. everything is the homepage. Right. Whereas, you know, I, I, I still feel it works very well that like your site and my site, all you, all you have to do is go to the homepage and you can just scroll down for a while. And then when you see the last post that you read before, then, you know, you're done and you're caught up. Right. Yep. Like one page view every couple of days is all I ask. <laughs> just come to my homepage <laughs> once or twice a week and you can get everything. Like two page views a week, that's great. Yeah. Well, anyway, you've relaunched in two, two years ago. You relaunched the idea of memberships. Um, and it, I think, I mean, it seems like it's actually pretty successful. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's, it's been great. Um, the, the first time I did it in 2005, I did it. And, you know, after a few months, I started feeling... You know, and this was just sort of my own internal, you know, thing. It didn't have anything to do with anyone else. It was, I started feeling like I had, you know, over a thousand people who were my boss now. Mm. Um, you know, the, the sort of paying, paying patrons, micro patrons, I called them, um, who, you know, had some more say in what I should be posting than, you know, the, the usual reader, uh, you know, and and again, like this was completely in my head, like nobody was saying this, you know, I, I, my inbox wasn't full of email saying like, well, you said you were going to do this and you're not doing it. What the hell is going on? Like none of that was happening. It was just all in my brain. And I, you know, I didn't like that sensation. I, I didn't feel like I was sort of free to do what I wanted to do anymore which is sort of ridiculous because of course I was, but you know, I, I sort of talked myself into, you know, feeling that way about it. And, um, you know, so after a year, like I, I discontinued the membership thing. And, uh, you know, I think it was a couple months later where I put the, the deck ad on right. the site. It was sort of this like, Oh shit, this isn't going to work. And then the deck came along and I was like, Oh, cool. Let's do this. Um, but, you know, increasingly, you know, probably like three or four years ago, I started thinking, I was like, well, what if I, 
you know, I'm a different person now. Like, what if I went back and like did this membership thing? Like there's this, you know, I think Patreon was just sort of becoming a thing. And it seemed like there was this idea that content online was, was worth paying for, which, you know, back in 2005 was not really a concept that made sense to anyone. Like online things were free, you know, like the wall street journal had a paywall, but that was about it. Um, you know, and the New York times experimented with paywalls like periodically, um, and other sites, you know, other news sites did too. Um, but, you know, I think like, you know, especially like three, four or five years ago, like people started coming around to this idea that, 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 huh, like, you know, advertising is problematic to put it, to put it gently. And, um, you know, in, in some cases, in most cases, I would say, and, uh, you know, but so if advertising doesn't work, like how are we, you know, how, am, how am I going to read this thing? Like maybe I should support this thing. Um, you know, and I think once that started happening, I started thinking, I was like, you know, I bet, you know, I bet I could, I could do a membership thing again and feel okay with it. And, you know, I, I would get probably like once every two weeks, I would get an email from somebody saying like, can I pay you for this? Like, what the <laughs> hell? Like, why, why can't I pay you for this? Um, you know, and I think the, that feeling of, of it being a more acceptable thing or, 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 or something that was in the air of like, Oh, we need to, we need to, you know, pay directly for content, yeah. you know, th- that we love online. Um, and you know, people wanting it was, was just sort of hard to ignore after a while for me. Yeah, and so now you've got uh, three levels: patron for thirty bucks a year, right? Superstar yep. sixty bucks a year, and then the crazy one six hundred bucks a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what members get is a the the good feeling of paying you for the work that you're doing, but then they also get a good old fashioned email newsletter, which is out of you know uh, same type of thing that you post on cocky.org, but different and you know more written longer and sort of a slightly different tone in my opinion right well there's there's um so there's so there's the members newsletter which i i think i've only sent out probably like six or seven of maybe eight it's not past year it's not spam it's not spam it's not spam um and then the you know there's a, there's a separate newsletter that that I started with uh, Tim Carmody in December I think called Noticing, um, and that's you know that is obviously member supported but you don't have to be a member to read it. Hmm. Um, uh, I mean my my thing is that like there like I was very I didn't I didn't want to have any sort of members only stuff or very little members only stuff. Um, I wanted people to know up front that they were supporting the work that was already going on right. and that part of, part of their contribution was going to make sure that that stuff stayed open and free and available. Um, you know, and it's, it's part of the whole deal. You know, it's, it's, it's not a, it's purposefully not a paywall. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm personally, and I think you've, I think what you said is exactly how I feel. Like I, I think like what Ben Thompson does at Stratechery is a, you know, fantastic. I love getting his emails. Um, and I think he's, you know, built a very successful business at it, but it would drive me nuts writing because the better the piece was that was behind the paywall, the more I would wish it weren't behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. Like there's a part of me that I, it, if I write something I'd like, I, it's again, like me feeling like I was born at the right time. I love that everything I write and post to daring fireball is there for anybody in the world to see. Like it's, it, it, I I can't explain it, but it's, it's just a part of my personality that it, I'm just not cut out to write behind a paywall. Like it would just drive me crazy. It would, it would bother me. Like knowing that I lost my keys, like I can't stop thinking about where they might be. Like if I had a post behind a paywall, I would never be able to stop thinking, boy, I wish that weren't behind a paywall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's exactly my, my feeling on it too. And, you know, there's something, I think there's something about, I don't know, one of, one of the, you know, the, the web brought with it all of these new possibilities in thinking about how people do things and, and things like that. And one of those things was, you know, you can write something and put it online and anybody who wants to stop by to read it can read it yeah. and share it with others. And, you know, at a certain point, like, I, I mean, I, I loved I loved that about the web. And it's just I think doing, you know, something like putting something behind a paywall is just not it just doesn't feel like the right thing to do with the web. For me. Um, and I do think you're right that like in 2005, it was an idea ahead of its time. And I think fi- fundamentally based on the fact that in 2005, 2006, it, it still felt like everybody agreed that everything on the web should be quote unquote free. And mm-hmm. something changed in the decade after that. And I think part of it is just that in the ensuing decade, people have seen things that sites that they loved before either either go away completely or mostly dry up and Mm -hmm. i think it gave people like the see having had sites that they loved go away you know uh i think and made made people more willing to say i would like to keep this going and and if i can help by giving 30 bucks a year or whatever uh i'm happy to do it i think that's the difference the difference is whether they're happy doing it or not. And I think in 2005, there weren't very many people who were happy about paying for anything online. Whereas today there are. Yeah. I mean, you know, you like, you look at the last five years in, in online media and you know, it's, it's like just the, the consequence of not paying directly for things and sort of relying on advertising and, you know, VC money is, you know, like there are a lot of advantages to both of those things, but the disadvantages that when those things dry up for one reason or another, like that thing that you loved is gone, you know? Yeah. Um, Whereas like I feel now with, you know, sort of this, you know, the, the, the membership is, is, you know, more than 50% of, of my revenue now. 
And I feel like in a lot of ways, like that is way steadier than advertising ever felt. Yeah. Like I feel like a, a large chunk of that is going to be there for ever a long time. I mean, I, it, it just feels so solid to me. And it's like, it's so, it's such a base, you know, that I can, that I can count on. Yeah. Um, it just, it just feels amazing. Uh, talking about early era bloggers, uh, I think he started sometime after you, but it was before Daring Fireball would be Josh Marshall at Talking Points Memo. And he's evolved TPM in a way that's, you know, very, you know, certainly different than what I've done, where he's built it out into a real news organization with a staff of, I think, somewhere around like 20 people. Um, you know, it's it's a real publication, but it's also very small by the historical standards of a news publication. It's still like if you're a regular reader of talking points memo, you, you kind of, you know, you can just see by how few bylines there are that it's, you know, it's a small group. It is still in a way personal. Um, and you know, they've done the same thing where they, they call it TPM prime, but they, Mm -hmm. you know, get the, their, their, thousand true fans or you know several thousand biggest fans to sign up for tpm prime and they do have some paywalled stuff but their news articles the you know the heart of their reporting they do aren't behind a a paywall it's sort of like you get to see like the reporter's notebooks if you're effectively if you're a member but i think for the most part it's driven by people who really just are happy to pay it to keep tpm afloat and or not even afloat, not like they were in trouble, but and Josh has written about it, um, but that it just makes him feel better about their business if fifty percent of the money isn't from advertising, if it's direct support from readers. It just like you mm-hmm. said, it just feels like this is something that they can bank on as they try to hire more reporters and stuff, and they don't have to worry about the ebb and flow of the ad industry. That if they've got these readers who subscribe for an annual thing that they can count on, you know, as long as they're doing the good work that they were doing to get them to sign up in the first place, they're going to be able to count on it going forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like I didn't anticipate that it would feel differently like that. Um, And it also feels differently from a, from the perspective of like what I write about and how I write about it. Like I feel, I feel way more free to just, sort of write about, I mean, I've always written about anything and everything, but I feel, you know, there, there was never the sense that I was writing for page views, but it was always like a little bit in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. And now I don't worry about it at all. And I also don't worry about, I'm worrying less about if things are on the site or not. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I wanted to, um, I don't know, like if I wanted to increase my, you know, Twitter activity a lot, um, I could do that because, you know, the people who are paying for the site are paying sort of for my activity in general. And so like, you know, I don't know, it's hard to talk about it. It's, it, it's, it's really, I feel like it's really freed me up to, to do different stuff to explain think about it in a different way i don't know it's 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 hard to talk about i well from the outside um i mean we're friends but we don't talk often because i'm bad at being friend uh (laughs) 
I, so I can't say it's not like we don't know each other personally, but f- from my, you know, primarily though, my interaction with you is reading your website and vice versa. Um, and I've noticed, it seems to me that since you launched this, that, and, and, you know, and then you indicated that, Hey, this was, you know, this was even more successful than I thought it would be. Thank you. Everybody mm-hmm. who's on board. I've noticed that it seems like it, it seems like you're in a better mood just judging you from the post on cocky.org. Mm. Uh, you know, and you know, that could just be me. I don't know. And, and, and also that it seemed like it freed you up to change things a little bit more. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, like launching the newsletters is, I think a good, a good um, example of something that I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I would have thought about it because it was like, Oh shit, I got to figure out how to, fund this thing like okay i need to get sponsors for it so like we need to get it up to a certain level you know and i'm still thinking about those things because you know i think one of the one of the things i've learned is that you need to have multiple sources of income in case you know one goes flat and all this other stuff um you know it's always good to diversify uh but you know the the newsletter is definitely one of those things and you know i think you know going to you know, what you said about me being happier. Um, I definitely, you know, I definitely feel more energized. You know, I think the, the membership thing has really energized me. Um, and really. Maybe that's what's more, maybe that's a better word too than the, of yeah, what I detect I mean, on the site energized. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how I've sort of been thinking about it as, as I've, you know, and I didn't notice it right away, but I've definitely like in the last few months, particularly, um, you know, and maybe there was this thing of like me taking the site for granted a little bit for a while. And I think that's kind of in the rearview mirror a little bit. And I really like, I'm, I don't know, I'm just really back into it in a way that I wasn't maybe, you know, three, four years ago, Mm. you know, and there was some like personal life shit going on too, that really like drove my life into the ditch for a couple of years. But um, you know, and, 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 you know, Kotki.org was this thing that was, you know, sort of the through line that, that I could depend on even when the rest of my life isn't, you know, shit, like this is the thing that I know how to do and I can sit down and do this and, be, and it, you're in control of. Yeah, exactly. I feel exactly. that way about, I absolutely feel that way about Daring fireball when real life is, you know, not that great. I always, I do, I, you know, in some ways when real life isn't that great, sometimes that's when I'm more productive at daring fireball just because Mm -hmm. it's something I can (laughs) hide away from everything else. Yep. (laughs) I can't help but feel a little personally slighted by this though. On your, your membership members page, the first level, the patron it's here's the description for pennies a day. This is a $30 a year membership for pennies a day. You can become one of cocky.org's 1000 true fans. Please don't make me have to start a rambling two hour podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're at like the two fifteen mark. Yeah. Now. So <laughs> I, I can't. You, you should feel a little slighted by that, but <laughs> at the same time, like, it, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I have never, I'm not a big podcast guy. I'm not a big podcast listener. Um, I, uh, you know, and, and, and my sweet spot for podcasts is like, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. Right. 
you know, as a listener. Um, so yeah, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I have found, I could be wrong. I have found that, uh, I think it, I think the worst length for a podcast is about an hour. Um, Hmm. because when the talk show episodes were shorter, I'd get a lot of complaints about the length from people who thought it was too long because there's an awful lot of people who they, like you said, 15, 20 minutes is the sweet spot. And, you know, remember our sponsor, the uh, tech meme uh, Mm -hmm. ride home show, which is 15, 20 minutes. Um, People want it one way or the other. And it's like the, nobody wants the middle bowl of porridge. They either want it cold or they want it hot. And, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's other people who can't get enough, you know, who, you know, when I talk, have an episode and talk about length of the show, they're like, make them longer there. It's, you know, I have a a really terrible commute, so please make them longer and come out with them more frequently. Um, well, it's interesting as a, as a guest. So I, I've done, I've probably done like three or four podcasts in the last like month just because I kind of made a concerted effort to reach out to people and people have been reaching out to me because of the, you know, the anniversary thing. Right. And, um, I did one with, um, Craig Maud. Mm-hmm. He does this podcast called on margin or yes. on margins. I can't remember which it is. Um, which yeah. he hasn't posted yet because he's, you know, like me, he's like this meticulous, like he meticulously, meticulously edits these episodes to within an inch of their life. Right. Um, but it was interesting. I talked to him, I think, for about an hour, and I felt like we were just kind of getting going. Like we were just in a good place where it's like, oh, okay, like we're, we're we can really have a conversation now. And then he was like, okay, we're done. <laughs> and you know, and we talked for twenty minutes after that. And you know, we should have hit record again, probably. Uh, but it was it was interesting that 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 hour wasn't enough as a guest you know and i did i did a you know all the other ones that i've done i think have been around you know 40 minutes to an hour and it was just sort of like oh we were just we were just getting somewhere well you don't have that problem with me no (laughs) i and what's interesting about this is that i mean this is i don't know it, it like we talked a little bit, like I texted you yesterday and I was like, okay, well, can I do anything to prepare? And you're nope. You're like, nope. I was like, <laughs> okay. And then like, like 10 minutes before the show, you're like, okay, here's my Skype. I was like, oh, we're doing this on Skype. All right. And then you call me on Skype and you're like, hey, how's it going? Good. Okay. Can you record this? Yep. Hit record. Okay. And then it was, and then boom, we're in. And I was like, Okay. I didn't want to make you nervous, I, and it is weird because <laughs> I tend to rotate between regular guests who know how it goes, and I yeah. would like to have more, like one of my things I'd like to do this year is have more uh, fresh voices on this show. And mm-hmm. um, I, I realized as I was doing it, I was like, oh, I bet, I bet Jason's freaking out a little bit. Uh, just because I know you don't do this a lot. Um, but I yeah. was completely confident because I've done this. I knew exactly how it would go like this. Sh- yeah. And I knew it would be pretty good. Um, and I think it has been, um, but I still can't help but feel that a rambling two hour podcast is. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was maybe a shot across the bow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this has been great, but we have gone long enough. I think it's a more enough rambling. Um, all right. 
Uh, but I, I will promise that I, you will have to come back at some point and yeah, not, that'd be great. Not this, let this 200 episodes go by. Um, <laughs> so for anybody who wants more, if you don't know Kotki.org, I don't know how that's possibly the case. Um, uh, but that's Jason's website, uh, on Twitter. There are two Twitter accounts that I know of. Uh, there's at Kotki, which is sort of like the official links, you know, like the Twitter account for the site. And then there's J Kotki, which is your personal Twitter. Right. Everything's Kotki branded. It's sort of like Trump. Yeah. Ugh, Jesus. Did we have to end on that note? <laughs>